0: iTunes presents Meet the Author.
1: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this evening's Meet the Author event at the Apple Store on Regent Street. Good to see you all here. Charlie Higson is the author of five Young Bond books published by Puffin Books, which have to date sold over three quarters of a million copies in the UK and have been translated into 24 different languages. After studying at the University of Anglia, Charlie formed a band, The Higsons. He then became a decorator before turning to the world of television and going to partnership with his friend, Paul Whitehouse. Their successes include Saturday Live, the Harry Enfield television programme, The Smell of Reason Mortimer, Shooting Stars, Swiss Tony, and The Far Show. Charlie is also a successful adult novelist and has written four thrillers, King of the Ants in 1992, Happy Now from 1993, Full Whack in 1995, and in 1996, Getting Rid of Mr Kitchen. Charlie lives in London with his wife and three sons. Please all welcome Mr Charlie Hickson. Uh, thank you very much.
0: Meet the author. Hi. That's it, I'm off. Uh, actually, no, uh, forgive me if I uh, appear to be slightly unprepared for this evening, because it'd meet the author. I had absolutely no idea in terms of meet the audience what type of audience was going to be here. I didn't know if it was going to be full of kids who wanted to hear about young James Bond, if it was all going to be adults who obviously wanted to hear about the older James Bond, or whether it's going to be people who had read some of my earlier crime books, or who wanted to listen to me talk about writing TV comedy, or maybe you just wandered in and wanted to know how to receive photos on your iPhone via uh, text. And if someone knows how to do that, could they actually tell me? Um, Well, I I shall probably mostly talk about James Bond, which is what I've been doing for the last few years since I was uh, hired to write The young James Bond books and was taken into the kind of James Bond family and the world of Bond. I've always thought that it was Ian Fleming's great good fortune and James Bond's great good fortune and our great good fortune as Bond fans that they didn't manage to make any films of James Bond until the 1960s. Ian Fleming, right from the very start when he wrote Casino Royale, he knew that for James Bond to become truly immortal. He'd have to get him up there on the screen. That's what gives characters longevity. Uh, There are a lot of other very popular books written in the 50s. weren't made into films. They've been all but forgotten. But not James Bond. And and Ian Fleming tried very hard from the start, but I think he was very lucky that they didn't make any James Bond films in the 50s because they would have been awful. Um, You can imagine some kind of awful, creaky, 1950s black and white British B-movie uh, it was all set on a kind of pinewood back lot and starring some wooden actor like Stuart Granger as James Bond, they would have had to take out all the things that make James Bond interesting, the sex, the violence, the beautiful cars, the gadgets, the colourful foreign locations, everything we kind of associate with James Bond. And it was, it was luck, really, on Fleming's part that they, they didn't make the films until the 60s because the 60s and James Bond, you can hardly think of one without thinking of the other. The two are kind of inseparable, Uh, and so many things came together at the right moment in the early 60s, with Sean Connery being available, John Barry doing the music, uh, Broccoli and and Saltzman as the producers, Ken Adam doing the sets, um, Terence Fisher directing the first film. It was such a fantastic team that came together there, and that really launched James Bond in a way that wouldn't have happened in the 1950s. But that being said, um, Sean Connery was not the first actor to play James Bond. In the 1950s, there was a radio series made uh, which starred Bob Holness, who's best known to the older members of the audience here as the host of the children's quiz blockbusters. But he actually played James Bond on a radio series in the 1950s, which gives you some idea again of why it wouldn't have been a good idea to make a film of Bond in the 50s, because I think if Bob Holness had been the first uh, (laughs) James Bond up on screen, that might have been the last we ever saw of James Bond, but whilst many uh, pub quizzes would have us believe that Bob Holness was the first actor to play James Bond, he was not, because in 1954, in October of 1954, CBS Television in America uh, screened an episode of their series Climax uh, Theatre, and it was a version of Casino Royale which had just come out in America, um, and it starred an American actor, Barry Nelson, playing James Bond, or Card Sense Jimmy Bond, as he was actually called in the script, an um, American agent. And to make matters even more confusing, um, the, uh, Felix Leiter, the American CIA agent in the film, is Clarence Leiter from the British Secret Service. And the whole thing is all... Um, confused, and it goes some way to show Ian Fleming's almost desperation to get this thing made, that he would allow these changes made, changes which actually undermine everything that makes Bond fun and interesting, and one of the key facts is the fact that Bond is obviously British, he's one of us. Um, one thing they did get right in the casting was the villain, the Shifra, and for that they hired the great Hollywood screen villain, Peter Laurie. Um, who'd done so many fantastic horror films and thrillers. Uh, Peter Laurie could have been born to play Le Schieffer. He's almost exactly the same as, as he's described physically in the book by Fleming. Um, <clears throat> the only problem with Peter Lorre is at this stage in his career, he was something of a heavy drinker. Um, and he'd never done TV before. And I think the two facts are related. Uh, his career was on the skids. To give you some idea of how long ago this program was, way back in the 1950s, they hadn't invented videotape. They had no way of recording television programs. So all TV went out live. So they attempted to do a James Bond film live from the studios in in Hollywood, uh, which is unthinkable. I mean, the the recent James Bond films, it takes them a good two years to make, filming all around the world, and hours and hours and days and weeks in post-production, sticking it all together. They tried to do Casino Royale live Um, which uh, you can imagine it was a fairly clunky production Um, and the story goes that in the climactic scene when uh, Peter Lorre as Le Chiffre is shot and falls dead um, on the floor the same as in the recent film uh, Peter Lorre got thirsty he got bored and thirsty he got fed up lying there and he decided to go back to his dressing room so halfway through this scene the corpse stands up and walks off set. And the other actors had to carry on as if nothing was happening. Uh, and, of course, this went out live to everybody's home. So, presumably, there are some people who were kids at the time who watched this who still aren't really sure whether Le Chiffre died or lived. Um, Le Chiffre did go on to live in another film. We saw him recently in Casino Royale. And, luckily, James Bond survived this uh, pretty rotten start to his career and has been resurrected so many times since. Um, and obviously, we're all looking forward to, I presume, the new Quantum of Solace movie. Um, but the, that film, Cena Royale, that TV show, was obviously based on the book, the first of Fleming's um, 12 Bond novels. Uh, and I was then given the job to go even further back in time, before the '50s, and write about James Bond's childhood. Um, I was approached by the Fleming Estate, who is still members of Ian Fleming's family involved. They look after the character of James Bond, the whole literary side of James Bond. Uh, and they've been working incredibly hard these last few years towards this year, which I presume you all know, because there's been a hell of a lot of publicity, is the centenary of Ian Fleming's birth. It would have been 100 this year. Uh, and they had a lot of long-term plans to really remind people of Ian Fleming and where Bond came from. And I think they've done a fantastic job. I think everyone now is more than aware of, of what an important part of James Bond, Ian Fleming, uh, Ian Fleming was. I mean, the, uh, if any of you have not seen it, the exhibition at the Imperial War Museum is uh, absolutely brilliant. I think it's their most successful exhibition they've ever had there. Uh, and it's a really interesting exhibition. It shows the connections between in Fleming's life and James Bond's life. Um, And when I was first approached about five years ago, the Flemings told me about all their plans for this, which included trying to get um, important literary authors to write some new adult James Bond stories. And of course, we've seen the first of those this year with the Sebastian Folk's book, Uh, and I'm sure there are going to be more to follow as that book was so successful. Uh, But at the same time, I was hired to write about the young James Bond. which actually I was quite relieved because when they approached me, they said they were talking about a new James Bond series. And I thought, God, how on earth could you go about writing a new adult Bond book which hadn't been done before, that wasn't going to look corny and cliched. Um, But to be able to go back and write about an area that Ian Fleming didn't write about was very exciting for me. Um, Slightly daunting, as I had to actually find out who James Bond was, where he came from, what his childhood was like. So the first thing I did was to go back and reread all of Ian Fleming's books to, um, to try and glean any snippets of information about James Bond's life as I could. And in fact, there's very, very little in Ian Fleming's books. Uh, he didn't really burden James Bond with a backstory. So when he created James Bond, he, wanted to cre- he was creating this fantasy man, the man that all men and boys reading the book would dream of being. They wish their life could be like that. So, James Bond has got no wife and kids for a start. He's got no domestic life at all. You very rarely see him at home. You never see him mowing the lawn or doing the washing up or having to go and have a talk with his bank manager. He mostly lives in hotels, he eats in restaurants, he travels around the world, and he gets to kill people. He has a fantastic life, but he very much lives in the present. And um, Fleming doesn't slow the stories down by doing a lot of stuff of Fleming thinking about his childhood and his family and that. Um, Until the penultimate book, You Only Live Twice. um, Presumably by this stage, Ian Fleming had decided maybe he should tell us a bit about James Bond's life. And in fact, Ian Fleming has said that when he started writing the books, um, James Bond didn't really have anything much of a character at all. He was something of a blank a blank page, a clean slate that the readers could project themselves into. Um, it was this blunt, blunt instrument. And it, and it was only over the course of the books that he started to develop all the kind of James Bond mannerisms that we're so familiar with, the, the types of drink he likes to drink and the clothes he wears and the cars he drives and the guns he uses. This built up over time and then it was built up even more um, with the films. And so obviously by the time he came to write you, right, you Only Live Twice, he thought it was time that he told us a little bit more about James Bond. Um, And in the course of the book, James Bond has gone out uh, on a mission for the last time against his great enemy Blofeld, who killed his wife in a previous book. Um, He he, he found him in Japan, and he's uh, confronted him in his secret base, which uh, Blofeld has rather foolishly built inside an active volcano. You do wonder with Bond villains why they couldn't just have an ordinary office like other people. But, um, no, uh, Blofeld has, a, has his base inside a volcano. Uh, Bond manages to blow the whole thing up and escape on a balloon. Uh, he's then shot in the head as he's trying to get away. Um, and he falls into the sea. And he, carries, he spends the rest of the book believing himself to be a Japanese fisherman as you do. Uh, So they think Bond is dead, uh, and so M writes an obituary. Uh, And and as I say, this document, if I could find it in here, (laughs) is the only time we hear anything about Bond's childhood. And it's what I used in, uh, in writing my stories. James Bond was born of a Scottish father, Andrew Bond of Glencoe, and a Swiss mother, Monique Delacroix, from the canton de Vaud. It's interesting that Fleming uh, specifically makes Bond at least half Scottish in this book, because certainly when he started writing the series, he didn't really think of Bond as being at all Scottish. He was an Englishman um, through and through. Uh, And in fact, when Sean Connery was cast to play James Bond, Ian Fleming was not very happy with the choice. He didn't think he was at all right for the part. He very quickly changed his mind when he saw just how good Sean Connery was and how well he kind of embodied uh, James Bond. And so it's very possible that by making him half Scottish here, he was giving a little nod towards Connery. His father, being a foreign representative of the Vickers' armaments firm, his early education, from which he inherited a first-class command of French and German, was entirely abroad. When he was 11 years of age, both his parents were killed in a climbing accident in the Aiguille Rouge above Chamonix. Now that was a very important piece of information for me because the first thing you've got to do if you have a child hero in a a series of action-adventure stories, the first thing you must do is kill off the parents. Um, Just about every great children's book hero is an orphan from Harry Potter onwards because just as every man's fantasy is to have no children, uh, sorry to let you in on this, it's every child's fantasy to have no parents. Um, And if you think about it, James Bond could not really go off and have all these great adventures if his mum kept turning up, saying, James, you've forgotten your sandwiches, and trying to clean his face with the corner of a hanky. No, it's great to get the the parents out of the way so the kids can just get on and have fun. And the youth came under the guardianship of an aunt, since deceased, Miss Charmian Bond, and went to live with her at the quaintly named hamlet of Pet Bottom, near Canterbury in Kent. And when I first read that, I assumed that uh, Fleming had made up the name of Pet Bottom because he was so fond of kind of slightly saucy double entendre names like um, Pussy Galore and whatnot. But actually, Pet Bottom is a real place in Canterbury. Uh, Fleming lived in Canterbury, so he'd obviously seen this, either visited the place or seen it on road signs and thought, I must use that in a book sometime. And there, in a small cottage hard by the attractive Duck Inn, his aunt, who must have been a most erudite and accomplished lady, completed his education for an English public school And at the age of 12, or thereabouts, he passed satisfactorily into Eton, for which college he had been entered at birth by his father. That gave me um, a slight problem, the fact that James Bond went to Eton. Um, I didn't think the boarding school aspect was a problem. Kids like reading about boarding school stories in the same way that they dream of being orphans, because when you're at boarding school, you don't have your annoying family hanging around. You're living in a society of other kids, uh, and that's kind of quite a sort of fantasy world for kids. It's like living in a little world entirely made of kids. Uh, but it's the fact that it was Eton, which, as we all know, is the poshest school, not just in England, but probably in the whole world. Uh, and I thought, you know, would anyone really be able to take James Bond seriously, having been to Eton? And the biggest problem was also the um, school uniform at the time, uh, which hasn't changed a great deal lately, which is uh, basically traditional stage magician's outfit. Um, it's the uh, black Formal black suit with the long tails on the coat, uh, a, a white shirt with a stiff high collar, a bow tie, and a top hat. Um, I still have problems with the top hat. I've never satisfactorily been able to work it into the books, other than to say James Bond hated his top hat and was for always forever trying to get rid of it. But the rest of it, as I, as I started to think about it, I thought actually no, that might work because if you think the classic image we have of James Bond, his superhero outfit, if you like is the tuxedo with the bow tie, which still works today. I mean, it, it, it was a fantastic stroke of luck that he was kind of established in that suit because it's a look that hasn't changed one bit since, since the very first film, since the very first time we see Sean Connery in Doctor No. You can still get away with wearing the dinner suit with the bow tie. It's a kind of a classic timeless look for men. And, you know, it is, it is a kind of key moment in Casino Royale where um, Daniel Craig gets to put on the tuxedo for the first time. It's like Batman putting on the Batsuit for the first time. So I thought, well, no, in a way, the Eton outfit that James Bond wore is the prototype superhero outfit for James Bond. And that gave me my way into writing the books, which was to take the familiar elements of the adult Bond and to shrink them down and make them work on a level that um, kids could relate to. For instance, the first time he meets his housemaster, his housemaster says to him, what's your name, boy? He says, Bond, James Bond as you would to a schoolteacher in the early 30s. Um, so I've tried to put all those elements into the book, which is quite tricky, because if you think about it, all the things that uh, James Bond is famous for, that we know and love him for, are entirely unsuitable to have a 13-year-old boy doing in a series of kids' books. So James Bond, at least in Flemings' books, smokes heavily, about 60 fags a day, drinks vast amounts, uh, misbehaves with a number of attractive women, um, drives fast cars, and kills people. Uh, so I was kind of like, where do I start with that? Um, the cigarettes I've dispensed with entirely. I'm not a smoker myself, so I don't mind a bit of kind of PC revisionism. Uh, young James Bond does not smoke, although kids at Eton in those days probably would have smoked quite heavily. They also would have drunk quite heavily. They had, they had their own pub within the school for the boys. Um, I have worked alcohol into the books in, um, in the third book, Double or Die, Bond is tortured by the villain by being forced to drink a bottle of gin, um, which is a pretty brutal punishment. So in it, it, it's kind of his first uh, forays into the world of heavy drinking. Um, fast cars, I've put cars into the book. Again, the very first book in Silverfin, Bond uh, learns to drive a car in the field behind his uncle's house. He drives a Bamford and Martins, an early version of Aston Martin car. And then later on in the book, he has to escape from the villain by stealing... A lorry, so I kind of work it into the plot of each book that in order to escape and save his life or somebody else's, he has to steal a car. And so there are a lot of cars in the book. Um, Violence is not a problem. Kids love violence, Uh, the more the merrier, as far as they're concerned. Um, I have had a few complaints from librarians and school teachers saying the books are a little bit violent in times, and I have to say it's not my fault. It's entirely the fault of my own three boys. Um, I read these books. To my kids at night, as bedtime stories, as I write each new chapter, so I can get their reaction to it and see their feedback of where the plot should be going, is the dialogue working. And uh, whenever I introduce a new character, they say, "Kill him!" <laughs> I say, "What do you mean, kill him? He's only been in for half a page." I don't care. Push him off a cliff. I want to see him squashed under a bus. That would be great. His whole head could explode, and there would be blood all over the road. As far as my boys are concerned, a story for them—best kind of the story would be non-stop killing from beginning of the book to the end. So uh, th- I, I put a lot of violence into the books because kids like it. Um, but James Bond himself is not allowed to kill, because, mainly because Fleming specifically says that Bond didn't kill anyone until the Second World War when he was working for MI6, and he earned his O status. He went on these two missions around the world. So mostly I have to engineer that the villains are hoist by their own um, petards. The biggest problem probably is uh, sex because 10-year-old uh, boys don't want to read about kissing and all that kind of mushy stuff. Uh, but they do accept that he is James Bond and that he's part of his character. In fact, I was doing an event and I said, and how, how, how can I keep him as James Bond and have the girls in the book doing what James Bond does with the girls without you boys being sick or throwing the book into the fire in disgust? And one boy stuck his hand up and said, well, how about James Bond is just going to kiss a girl and at the last moment there's a huge explosion and they get distracted which uh, I think is a fantastic plot, p- plot device which I'm going to be using extensively in future, future stories about James Bond. It is a tricky area. Um, and I've been trying to push it a little bit each more, more in each book, mainly because it is such a part of James Bond's world. And also, I think it is useful for boys reading books to learn a little bit about girls. Um, I'm trying to be um, a little bit more PC in the approach to girls in the book than Ian Fleming was perhaps sometimes in some of his books but um, this is the early days of James Bond before he became jaded. In fact, the, the, the latest book by Royal Command is, um, is about James Bond falling in love for the first time, and it relates to the next bit of the obituary, uh, which is what happens to James Bond when he's at Eton. It must be admitted that his career at Eton was brief and undistinguished, and after only two halves... As a result, it pains me to record of some alleged trouble with one of the boy's maids. His aunt was requested to remove him, and she managed to obtain his transfer to Fetis, his father's old school. Uh, so he went from David Cameron's old school to Tony Blair's old school. I don't know what that tells us about, about them or about Bond. But uh, So the incidents of this book are about what happened with the maid. I always knew I was going to have to deal with this because it is such a key part of the Bond mythology as outlined in Ian Fleming's obituary of Bond. Um, also, I, w- uh, I, I was originally asked to, to, to think of the first five series, uh, five books in this series, and I always knew I would book five would deal with him leaving Eton because they wanted the series to be James Bond roughly the same point in his life, um, and uh, at uh, Eton for the full series of the books in the same way that Ian Fleming, for his books, tried to keep Bond roughly in his mid-30s, which is actually why it causes a lot of headaches for people like me trying to put together a a timeline that works, because it doesn't work, because um, the dates in Fleming don't match up, because he was trying to keep Bond at a certain age. Um, So I've had to play a little bit with the facts in my book, because I couldn't fit five books' worth of action into six months, which is about the, the time that Fleming tells us Bond was at Eton. So I've changed the facts, and my justification for that is that the obituary was written by the head of the Secret Service about an active spy, and I think we know enough about our Secret Service to know they don't ever tell us the truth. So this book is about what really happened and why the facts had to be changed and why the dates had to be changed to protect certain people. But the core of it, it is about Bond's relationship with this maid uh, and what happens, and the elements of national security get uh, get drawn into the book. Um, a lot of people say to me, am I writing more James Bond stories after this book? Um, as I say, I was originally, we originally talked about doing five books. We thought we'd see how they, how they went, see what the response was. They've gone phenomenally well. I've been incredibly pleased. Uh, there was, this series was by no means a kind of given. We didn't know from the start if it was gonna work and how it was gonna work mainly because it is set in the early 1930s. It's about Bond as a 13-year-old. He's not a teenage spy. He's just an ordinary kid. And there was concern, would kids just say, reading this book, say, this is not James Bond. This is not what I think of as James Bond. Luckily, they've enjoyed the stories enough. They've been drawn into this, this 1930s world uh, I've created in the books enough that, that they have bought into it and they accept it. And I guess for most kids reading the book, there's not much difference between the 1960s, and the 1930s. It's all the olden days. So maybe Daniel Craig was born in 1930. Who knows? Um, but as I say, the books have done fantastically well, um, and the kids have really, have really liked it. And what I've been very pleased at as well is that the James Bond fans have really liked it. Because when these books were first announced, uh, before the first book came out, the, uh, the, the, kind of the websites and the message boards lit up uh, all around the world with... Um, like, a, like kind of fireworks, Well, explosions more like, with the, uh, mainly with uh, hatred from these people. And what is this British comedy writer doing, treading all over our beloved James Bond? We don't want to know about James Bond's childhood. We don't want Harry Potter Bond. Um, but luckily, they've realised that I've approached this from a position of great respect for Ian Fleming. I love Ian Fleming's books, and I've tried as far as possible to stick to the spirit of Fleming and to, and to put enough in there for the real Bond fanatics to kind of get their teeth into. There are still many out there, Bond, the diehard Bond fans, who say, I don't care how good these books are, I won't read them. I, for me, James Bond is the ultimate man. I don't want to know what he was like as a boy. Luckily, most uh, Bond fans of this type are avid collectors. They have to have everything. So they say, I'm not intending to read these books. I will, of course, buy them all, but I won't read them, which is fine by me. They can buy every single edition we bring out, and, and yeah, don't read them, I don't mind. They are for the kids primarily. I've been very pleased that um, adults have liked them as well. But as I say, they are written. they are children's books. Um, well one of the things I'm quite excited about at the moment is that uh, out next week, I believe, is the new graphic novel, uh, what we used to call a comic book, which I still do. I, do, I hate the term graphic novel. Uh, I'm really excited by that. I've I've been a lifelong comics fan, same way as I've been a lifelong James Bond fan. Um, I love comics. Um, I encourage my kids to read comics where possible. Uh, I don't have this kind of snobbish attitude that reading comics is not proper reading. It is proper reading. Um, And I'm very pleased with the way this comic book has come out. From the start, when we launched Young Bond, we had a fantastic uh, illustrator called Kev Walker um, who did illustrations... For us to depict the various characters that we've used on the Young Bond website and various other places and for prom- promotional material, uh, and I was very pleased that he, he he agreed to work on this graphic novel with me. Um, he did most of the adaptation himself, and it, it's a very beautiful book which I hope appeals to comics fans as much as it appeals to James Bond fans and and to kids. So um, you know, this year has been such a fantastic year for James Bond to be involved with James Bond. Uh, there's a huge Ian Fleming gala um, on October the 5th, uh, where at the London Palladium, which I'll be doing, talking about James Bond. That they've got a lot of Bond actors, including I think a couple of Bonds turning up. Uh, they've got a 60-piece orchestra. Um, they've got various writers and actors uh, talking about Fleming, doing a tribute to Fleming, and it's hosted by Stephen Fry, who's a huge James Bond fan, and Joanna, Lam- uh, Joanna Lumley, who was of course a Bond girl in On a Majesty's Secret Service. So this year for me has been just phenomenal for, you know, to be involved with the James Bond stuff. And as I say, with my new book out, with the comic book out, um, I'm definitely going to carry on writing some more uh, James Bond stories of one sort or another. I'm going to take a break for a little bit after this because as I said, I had the story worked out for five books and uh, I haven't thought beyond that, but um, I'm starting to think beyond that now. Uh, and will be going on to do, I hope, a lot more stuff in the world of James Bond. Rather than me droning on for hours talking about what I might want to talk about, uh, I think I'll open it over to questions so that you can ask me something, and I will uh, pretend to know the answer. (laughs) Straight over there, lovely. Uh, Where did you get the idea for Hurricane Gold? Where did I get the idea from Hurricane Gold? It's the trickiest question that people always ask writers is, where do you get your ideas from? Um, Mostly, I do send off to a little mail order place near Birmingham called Ideas Are Us. And they got some really good ideas there. Um, Ideas come from all sorts of places. What I wanted to do with 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 each of these books was to write about an area that Ian Fleming wrote about. A lot of James Bond's life was based on Ian Fleming's life. And a lot of the things that Bond loved doing and got excited about were things that Ian Fleming loved doing, like gambling... Uh, like uh, fast cars, foreign travel. But he also wrote about the places that he'd visited and, and liked a lot. Um, one of those places that was very important to Ian Fleming was the Caribbean in Jamaica. He had, you probably know, he had a house on Jamaica called Goldeneye, uh, which actually I was very lucky enough to visit earlier this year, which is quite an amazing place. Um, so I always knew that I would have to write something set in the Caribbean in one of the books. Um, which is where half of Hurricane Gold is set. The rest of it is set in Mexico because I've, al- I've also al- always really loved Mexico and I've always wanted to write about Mexico, which probably grows up from watching cowboy films. My knowledge of Mexico doesn't go very far beyond cowboy films, but uh, um, I, you know, I, 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 I wanted to set a book out there and, and have it end up in um, on this Jama- uh, Caribbean island, uh, which, again, is... is, is there's echoes of Ian Fleming, there's echoes of Dr. No, where he has his own uh, hangout on his own little Caribbean island. Um, the actual idea of, the, of uh, a kind of place where um, criminals on the run, gangsters on the run who have a bit of money can go and hide out and live in luxury, I completely stole off another book, which is uh, one of my favorite books called The Getaway by Jim Thompson, who's an American a crime writer who was writing in uh, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Completely unsuitable for children. Please, none of you go out and read any of his books until you're considerably older. But I always loved the idea of this place where criminals escape to, and they live in luxury, but they realize they can never leave. They're trapped there. I thought that was such a great idea that I would steal it, and I did. Uh, I did put an acknowledgement to Jim Thompson in the book. Um... And the the avenue of death that Bond has to escape, again, that's partly based on Dr. No, where um, uh, uh, James Bond has to escape through, in the book, uh, quite an elaborate series of um, tests he has to work his way through, which they did a little bit in the film going through the the ventilation shafts in in, in the hideout. Why Dr. No has vast torrents of scalding boiling water running through his air conditioning system is anybody's guess but uh, he obviously thought that was what he needed for his hideout so ideas come from all those different places Um, and I also wanted to do a book where they didn't have anything to eat and it was just bond off on an adventure from the start of the book Uh, and and all those things came together for that who's next one in the middle here
1: You're here at Macintosh. I presume you're using a Macintosh to write your books. I
0: do use a Macintosh to write my
1: books, yes. Do you use any particular program?
0: I'm afraid I don't use anything more exciting than Microsoft Word, um, which works perfectly well for me. Um, and I, I, I do spend a lot of time uh, tweaking the uh, spell checker, the automatic corrections that go on, because I never properly learned to type. So my, uh, my typing is awful, but it's reasonably consistently awful. So I've got my spell checker quite well-trained, uh, which, is, which is fine until I go and work on someone else's computer, and it just comes out as complete rubbish. Um, but no, I love working on a Mac. Um, I, you know, I've used PCs on other things which are fine, but they don't work nearly as well as a Mac. Um, I resisted for a long time when I started. I worked on an Amstrad to start with, uh, because I thought, if I get a fancy computer that does a lot of other stuff, I will waste a lot of time doing a lot of other stuff, which I do. Uh, I tell my wife I'm working hard all day when I'm in my office, but I do spend a huge amount of time playing Call of Duty online. Um, That actually is the one frustrating thing as a Mac user. There were all those um, adverts you probably saw with Michelin Webb, doing, I'm a PC and I'm a Mac, and the Mac was very smart and modern and smug, and the PC didn't quite work properly and was a bit old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy. I just wish they'd done one which started and the uh, Mac lathering on about something, the PC gets out of his box and says, I like to play all the latest computer games. At which point Mac would go, fair enough. (laughs) Uh, I wish they would bring out some more games on the Mac. I believe Call of Duty 4 is about to come out on the Mac. Whatever happened to Call of Duty 3, that's what I'd like to say to the world and to Aspire Media, why is Call of Duty 3 not available on the Mac? Mind you, if they make it available, I probably won't get around to writing any more books. Who's next? Come down the front here. Oh, no, we'll go there while Uh,
1: you're there. Do you wish that uh, that you'd been given more or less by Fleming clues for... for
0: More or less by Fleming. For me, it worked out about right. He gave me enough information to kind of... To have a structure and to hang onto that whatever I wanted and to tell that there was space for me to have some personal input. Um, But I do like starting... With something, and The great thing with Fleming is you have a template for how a Bond book works at its best. You have to have your Bond villain and your Bond girl and some nice cars and a good henchman, some interesting ways to kill people. Uh, and the basic plots of his books are pretty well all the same, which is what I've mirrored as far as possible in my books. Um, so I've got all that from Fleming, a fantastic skeleton, and I can flesh that out as much as I like, and to be able to go back and fill in other bits of his childhood and his friends and what he was like as a boy is quite fun for me. That being said, I don't think for a moment that Fleming imagined that Bond's childhood was anything like the childhood I've described. The couple of occasions when he has alluded to his childhood, he sort of implied he had a fairly ordinary childhood, and it wasn't until the Second World War that his life turned around, but I figured no kid would really want to read about James Bond, <laughs> doing his homework and going on holiday to Frinton on the sea. Um, do you ever see yourself as James Bond? Or? Do I ever see... Do you see me as James Bond? <laughs> no. Hmm. I am like most writers. We're nerdy types. And we sit at home in our little rooms and we make things up. And we can imagine we're, we're someone strong and brave and tough. We can imagine all these fantastic adventures. Mostly people who are going out and having these great adventures don't have time to write books. There are a couple. People like Andy McNabb, um, who used to be in the SAS, who, who writes action stories or gets someone to help him write them. And he's writing For children as well, and they're they're great books and they're very exciting, but most writers are more like me. And Ian Fleming himself, although he liked to give the impression that he was something of a James Bond figure, and Ian Fleming had worked for the Secret Service during the war, um, but he never actually went on any missions and and, and saw any action himself. He met a lot of um, spies and agents and commandos who did all that, and that's what he based James Bond on. as I said before, he liked gambling. He didn't ever really gamble with that much money, but he liked the world of it. Um, and he went, every, every winter, he'd go to his house um, in Jamaica, and he'd sit at his typewriter, and, and, he'd, and he'd make it up. Uh, and he'd, he'd imagine all these fantastic stories. And that's what I do, and that's really what, m- what most writers do. And it's a fantastic job being able to, to, to make up all these stories and to have these adventures in your head. But you do sometimes think at the end of the year, what did I do this year? Oh, yes. Yes. I was sitting there doing that. Well, the characters I've invented have had great adventures and gone out and met people and had conversations and things. Um, us writers don't do a lot of that. Um, and I would have made a terrible spy. I'm not brave at all on any level. And I think to be a spy must be, I think you must, it must be one of the bravest things to do because you have to go to, often to a foreign country, you have to pretend to be one of them, you have to make friends with people, join an organization, get everybody to trust you, and you may be there for, for years sometimes, and the whole time you're betraying these people and giving secrets back, and you know if anyone ever finds out, you are just going to be tortured and killed. So that requires a very, very special type of person, a probably slightly odd type of person. In fact, in Ian Fleming's books, writing about James Bond, James Bond is more of a real person than he is in the films, and he does kind of think a bit about, you know, his job is he's an assassin. That's what double O means. And you know, he does sometimes think, I'm, you know, I'm not like other people. And, and Fle- Ian Fleming himself said he didn't actually think that James Bond was necessarily a particularly nice person. But great fun to read about. But you wouldn't necessarily want to go down the pub with him. Do you go there? Oh, over there.
1: All right, what's your um,
0: favorite Fleming Bond? My favorite Fleming Bond... It's probably a toss-up between um, From Russia With Love and Casino Royale. Um, I love Casino Royale because it was the very first Bond book. And Ian Fleming didn't really know where it was going to go from there and what was going to happen. And nobody anywhere in the, in the world could have known just how huge and popular uh, uh, James Bond was going to become. What an extraordinary phenomenon that still today these films are the, you know, the, the most successful probably will be the most successful film of the year when it comes out, Quantum of Solace. Um, and after 50 years, that's, that's pretty extraordinary. And but when he sat down to write Casino, right, casino Royale, he knew he had a good idea. He knew James Bond was a great character and he knew that nobody had written that type of book about really what goes on in the modern day world of uh, uh, skullduggery, if you like. Um, and he was having fun. Uh, it's quite a small, self-contained story. Um, but that was the, the whole birth of James Bond. So to read that book is quite, quite exciting to see where it went from there. But um, From Rush With Love, I think is probably the best, best written of all the books. Uh, it's quite a long, substantial book. Fleming himself said he probably thought it was the best written. And he probably put more, in, more work into that book than any others because he wrote it at a time when he wasn't sure that he was going to carry on with Bond. It wasn't selling in America nearly as much as he had hoped. He wasn't as successful as he thought the books could be, Uh, so he put everything he could into that book, um, in the hope to really push the character. And at the end of the book, he actually does kill Bond off. Um, He leaves it open just enough, so he thought, well, if this does work, I can bring him back. Um, But as a result, uh, I think that's definitely the best written of his books, the most engrossing. Uh, I particularly like there's the whole sort of I think it's almost a third of the book. Bond doesn't appear at all it's the Russians setting up this plot against him and um the depiction of the, the that that Russian world and and the and of the psychopath red um red what's he called come on my gone complete red grant of course you knew didn't you i was thinking of my character red kelly in the books who's named after him red grant is is a fantastic depiction of a of, of a of a very scary man uh, there are some very dubious bits in it, as there are in all of Fleming's books. Um, some of the discussions about the best way to treat a woman are a bit, uh, a bit of an eye opener. Um, but I, I do think it's a fantastic book. Should we go, come here? This guy up. Oh, can we go to this guy here next? He's putting his hand up every time, and you're
1: ignoring him. Are you still planning to write a short story for the Young Bond books?
0: Well, I, I had one planned. Um, There was a discussion at one point, I don't even know, uh, on World Book Day they bring out these little mini books for kids for a pound each. Um, And there'd been some discussions that I might do one of them. So I started thinking about a story. In the end, that that didn't happen for various reasons. But I still had the germs of the story, which is about what happens to Bond on the way back from Mexico at the end of Hurricane Gold. Um, And I would like to write the story, yes. If I can find the, 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 the best outlet for it, the, the way f- to get it to people to read. Um, so I'd like to write it. Um, did
1: you Better be a good question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've got two actually, if that's two all right. Two questions. Um,
1: did you read any biographies of Fleming and use details from his childhood to inform Bond's childhood? <laughs> and also, um, did you consciously imitate uh, Fleming's stylistic devices? Um,
0: right. I yeah, it was clear from the start that I would have to read as much about Fleming as I did about Bond, because the two are inseparable and as i was saying before a lot of fleming's life are woven into the details of bond's life for instance fleming himself went to eton um and so yes i mean particularly i read a lot about that that point of uh, in fleming's life um so for instance in, in silverfin the first book i have bond at eton being really interested in athletics which is what the only thing that fleming enjoyed at eton was athletics and he won the School Athletics Prize two years running, which you probably know. Um, so I have Bond doing that as a, as a, as a nod to, to Fleming. And so th- there are bits and pieces. I mean, the new book by Royal Command, is lo- a lot of it is set in Kitzbühel in Austria, which is where, after Ian Fleming <coughs> left or was thrown out of Sandhurst, uh, it kind of his, his mother sent him there to kind of get his life together. And it was a very important part of Fleming's life. Uh, um, and he did actually meet a couple of ex spies out there and he learned to ski and grew in lo- grew, fell in love with the mountains which is why there is so much skiing and alpine stuff in the fleming books and in the bond films you know bond is always skiing off somewhere so i knew i'd have to write about that so yes there there is a lot of fleming in the books and and what's been really fantastic for me is to actually meet members of ian's family um particularly his two nieces who are very involved in in running the estate and so to have an actual direct link and a contact back to Ian Fleming has, has been fantastic and you, you know th- they always read the books before that they're published and they, they have really interesting sort of comments to make about you know, I mean for instance <laughs> there's a small thing in the first book in Silverfin uh, I thought I'd give James Bond a dog I know every boy in an Adventure Story needs a dog uh, but then it came back from the Fleming's that Ian hated dogs so I took the dog out which was good because I couldn't ever really think of anything very much for the dog to do in the book, so I was quite relieved in a way. But it's very nice to get little bits of feedback from them, so that's that's been great. In terms of did, have I tried to copy Ian Fleming's style? I haven't at all. Um, Sebastian Folkes uh, did to a certain extent. You know, he, his was written as Ian Fleming or in the style of Fleming. There's a lots of kind of stylistic quirks he does, and even odd you know lines that he's that he's taken and used again as a, as a homage to Fleming. And, and that works, you know, fantastically, but I, in writing a series of books, I didn't want to spend my whole time trying to write them as pastiche. So I've taken the structure and the style and the spirit of Fleming, but I've very much written them in exactly the same style as I'd wrote my four adult thrillers. Um, I didn't change that at all. So we go? In the green. Guy in the green there. Can you explain a bit about the, um, the Shadow Wars and also about the, sort of the code word and how it's sort of encompassed into this new book? <laughs> Why, are you I stuck? Oh, no, i was just curious <laughs> as to how, are there like just 20 books in the world with a different, yeah, there are, a different yes. printings and how um, they, where they've been distributed? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> where well, you can get older one. I wish I knew because I'd like one. Um, yeah, well, I don't know if you know, but for the, for the launch of the new book, we launched an online uh, ARG game, it's an alternate reality game. Uh, called Shadow War, which you can access via the Young Bond website. And if you are thinking of logging on, you can log on as either a Russian or a British agent. And I think three times as many people have logged on as British agents, so it works a lot quicker if you log on as a Russian. Um, and you get to play through, it's an alternative way of kind of exploring the stories of the books uh, from Silverfin right up to the, the, the present book as a kind of alternative way. I'll come to you next, Okay. Um, and the idea is it's collaborative, so kids from all around the world are, are playing and solving the clues and you can email questions to each other and, and share bits of information. And one of the key bits of that is that there are the 20 copies of the book have been published uh, and printed uh, and distributed which have a special code word in which you need to complete the game. We're very much hoping that somebody who gets one of these 20 books is actually playing the game uh, it does explain it in the back of the book, so I, I hope they will, uh, because they will then need to log in and say, I've got the code word, and, and, and all the people playing the game can move on to the next stage. Uh, I don't know where those books are, and I don't know what the code word is. So I can't tell you. But obviously, as I was saying before, in the world of James Bond, there are a lot of quite fanatical collectors out there who have to have everything to do with James Bond, and some of the, some of the stuff is incredibly valuable. Um, and as there are only 20 copies of this book, I'm assuming they probably will eventually change hands for a fair amount of money. So if anyone here gets one, rush out and buy every book in Waterstones that you can find. Uh, you may just get one. That's, all, that's as much as I can tell you. So i just go to the guy here, and then I'll come over to you. Are you going to put a... Uh, make a DVD of it? Are we going to make a film or a DVD of it? kids are always asking me that one um the 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 full answer is the decision is not down to me i don't own the character of james bond it's owned by the fleming uh, the fleming family in a state who do the books and uh, the broccoli family and eon films who make the films between them they own james bond they make the decisions so if they want to make some films of these books then they will There there are a couple of problems. I mean, certainly when we started writing these books, one of the things that we talked about from the start was getting boys to read books. Um, It had been quite hard getting boys to read books. I think one of the reasons was people weren't publishing necessarily the sort of books that boys wanted to read. If you look at the computer games they play and the films they they watch, and they go into a bookshop and it would be the latest magic kitten story. Um, Things have changed greatly with... um, Anthony Horowitz's Alex Ryder books, with Robert Muchamore's Cherub books, obviously with the Young Bond books. There's a lot more really exciting books for boys out there. But certainly when we started, we didn't want to rush straight into making films because we wanted it to be about kids reading books and going to books and enjoying James Bond through a book rather than on the screen. So it's only recently we've started talking about maybe it would be nice to do some films of the books. But I think the biggest problem is to be able to find a 13-year-old boy who's going to be as exciting to watch on the screen and have as much star presence as Sean Connery or Daniel Craig. I think it would be very hard to find a boy. You've got probably a few years to train now, so you know you should, you should start training now to be a young Bond. I, I, I think it would be very difficult. Kids love reading about kids in books. They're not always so keen to see kids in films, and I think if you said to a lot of kids, would you rather see child James Bond film or a real adult James Bond film? They'd probably say they'd rather see the adult one, because he gets to do all those exciting things that kids can't really do. Another one down the front. Oh, we'll go there and then we we'll come down the front.
1: Have you any wish to write adult Bond books? Well, Is as I aggression?
0: said, well, when as I said, when I was first approached in a sort of slightly hush-hush manner by, by the Fleming estate, saying we've got a new James Bond literary project, I thought, oh my God, I, I really don't know how you'd, how you'd go about that but then they said they were talking to me about children's books and I thought yeah I could, I could see how you could do that having written those five books I now th- it would think it would be great fun to have a go at doing an adult book um, partly because I could write about all the bits about Bond that I couldn't put into the kids books for quite obvious reasons, reasons and sort of really let rip on that front um, so yes I, I think it might be fun but again, as with everything else, the decision is not with me. It's it's with what <coughs> what the Fleming estate want to do. And I know they have got lots, lots and lots of things planned. So down the front here. If you would could like write any book, would you have written the Young Bond books? Like well, that's a very good question. Before I was asked about writing these books, I'd started writing a couple of books for children because, uh, as I said before, I've got three boys. And I was thinking about writing something for them that they would really enjoy. And I was thinking about something along sort of similar lines to James Bond, sort of action stories, but I couldn't quite work out the best way of doing it, the best way to get into it. So when they said, would you like to write a James Bond book for children, I thought, wow, fantastic, what a great job to be offered. And at that time, I thought that is the best book, that would be the most fun to write that book to actually to write a real James Bond book about James Bond that my kids would enjoy and hopefully other kids. So certainly when I wrote that, um, that was the book in all the world that I wanted to write. Um, As I say, I'm taking a little break from James Bond now, and uh, I'm starting writing a new series of action stories for kids, uh, which is entirely my own ideas. So I suppose that's the book that I'm now wanting to write, but uh, I don't want to give up writing the James Bond stories at the same time. Go along this fella here again. What did you make of Devil May Care? What did I make of Devil May Care? I thought it was a really fun book. As a as a Fleming fan, um, and a Sebastian Folks fan, I thought it was just great fun to read. It, it was it was you know it had all the bits from Fleming that you you wanted to see in there. Um, a really exciting story. As I say. Uh, Probably if I'd been given the job, I'd have maybe gone a little bit more over the top in a way that I can't do in my kids' books. Now and then I thought Sebastian was perhaps being um, a little bit too polite, I think. And if you were any character from any James Bond book, apart from James Bond, what would it be? Any character in any of the James Bond books? It's a tricky one because most of them end up dead. Who? Who? Dr. No? Yeah, he's right, except he he lost his hands and then died under a a tower of um, bird shit, let's say. Uh, Well, I don't know, even Felix Leiter, he got got a leg and an arm bitten off by an alligator. Or was it a shark? I can never remember. I don't think Fleming could ever remember from one book to the next. Um, Tiger? Tiger Tanaka. He seemed to have quite a nice life, yes. Good suggestion. I'll go with him. Two more questions. So what, you got two more questions? Or that's. Just no, I've just got one more. That's all right. Um, have you found any outside events have um, forced your sales of the Bond books up? Can you relate a peak in sales to
1: any outside events in the world?
0: Oh, gosh. I've never analyzed it that closely. I mean, mm-hmm. luckily, as each book comes out, it kind of builds on the sales of the last one. I think, obviously, the, the whole centenary this year has been very important in, in raising the profile of, of Fleming. And also, I, I've been called on as a kind of rent-a-bond expert to kind of talk about bond in uh, a number of TV programs and interviews and things, which is, which is great. And obviously, that does raise my profile at the same time. But I, it's, it's very, very hard to kind of ever directly correlate any kind of... Did you have anything in mind that you thought might have boosted my sales? No, well, I think maybe um, the Litvinenko affair or, so, or some sort of acts of international espionage. Well, I mean, any time anything to do with spying hits the media, it's all James Bond this, James Bond that. or oh, this is like a James Bond story, or this is not like a James Bond story. So, you know, the media love James Bond in this country, and normally sober news, newsmen types in their suits get very excited and boyish when any mention of James Bond is made. And the next thing you know, they're kind of... Uh, acting out James Bond fantasies for children in need and things um, so I think in terms of the whole profile of James Bond in general that stuff does keep keep the interest alive in this country but whether that filters down to the kids I, d- I doubt many kids actually watch the news and read, read the newspapers and have been following the Litvinenko affair that closely <laughs> okay well thank you so much for coming down everyone um, I hope I've answered your questions fully um, and Go out and buy the books. Thank you. (laughs) This episode of Meet the Author was produced by iTunes and the Apple Store on London's Regent Street. To purchase the audiobook or listen to more episodes in
1: the series, click the link below or search for Meet the Author in the iTunes Store.